Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Southern California. Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood. I'm the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project. I am coming to you today from Harlem. It's a sunny day out, but I'm inside because it's my Sunday. And I'm Seth Rodney. I am an editor at the Hyperallergic Blog and recent editor of, oh, rather, writer. I'm a recent writer, author, (laughs) author of The Personalization of the Museum Visit. And I am coming to you from the South Bronx, where it's sunny, and I wish to God I were outside, um, because I'm really lacking in vitamin D. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's oh, wow. a travesty. Scurvy. <laughs> scurvy. Scurvy is a problem. Yeah. This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Today, we're continuing our conversation about uh, climate change. And we had committed, uh, I think, on Seth's suggestion, was that right? Uh, we had committed mm-hmm. to all watching An Inconvenient Truth. We mm-hmm. were all somewhat familiar with it. had seen pieces of it, but hadn't mm. watched the whole thing all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did, and I you know, I met that commitment. I know the rest of you did as well because I, I came in on your conversation this morning talking <laughs> about it. So, so friends... Romans, countrymen, uh, which, uh, which, which would you like to, uh, which of you would like to start on our in-depth and riveting discussion of Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth? In other words, which of us wants to start eviscerating it first, right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Well, you started, you had some pretty good um, comments earlier before the podcast, so I think, yeah, you should start, Seth. You, you suggested it. <laughs> Okay, so here are a couple of observations quickly. One is that he, he does this kind of folksy, hail fellow, well-met kind of approach, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, you know, I grew up on a farm. My dad raised steers. I'm just an old country boy. I don't really uh, fail to get uh, the presidency. And here's what I found. Is this really crucial issue for our time? Mm-hmm. It's it's a little bit too folksy for me. Just uh, and I'm going to talk just approach to making the film for for a moment. Mm-hmm. What it does is it makes me. It reminds me of this moment in the I guess well it, it came out in 2006, but it reminds me of this moment in the 90s and early 2000s where. Our, all our politics were like that in the U.S. All our big party mm-hmm. politics were all sort oh, of yeah. folksy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my friends know me to be so and so. He has so many friends. Yeah, I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> so many friends. My friend that Carl Sagan. My <laughs> friend, blah blah blah. My friend who took this picture of the. I'm like, oh come on. I well, I don't like that. I I don't I don't like. I think that there's a lot of data in the film that is crucial, but I don't like the fact that he goes on and on, uh, sell, essentially selling us as the hero. I, I think mm. he, he could have like got out of the way a lot more. And I would have been much more interested in in hearing more of the data and seeing more of the effects of climate change, um, gla- glaciers melting and so on and so forth. I'll stop there. Okay. It's a good place to stop in the sense that he was selling himself. Right. He was yeah. selling climate change, absolutely. And he's been doing this work for a while. My thing right. was you lost the presidency or didn't fight for it. And then you have this thing that you've already kind of started developing that you probably feel very passionate about. But it's hard with Gore because he sounds so robotic. Mm-hmm. And so the part of selling the idea and the person, whether it was in, unconsciously or consciously, was he's not a robot. 
He mm. was he's a he's a sensitive man. He wonders how he can look into the soul of America or the world and see what needed to be changed, right? Mm. And then become an advocate for that. I remember those um before we got on Travis, uh Seth and I were talking and said it was like a TED talk, you know, it was with a little bit of footage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a TED talk. Mm. So I had to go find out when TED Talks began, 1984. But the first ones that they actually um one of the first five included a Al Gore speech, you know, around because uh, the inconvenient truth was out, out around that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's interesting to think about how I, I swung the pendulum today. I was like, it's really hopeful because all these things happened in the last thirteen years, where more people are using solar energy and reducing carbon emissions and trying to think about those things to mm-hmm. downright despair that we're never going to be able to change our lifestyles to do this. Mm-hmm. And I want to know how what you think. Of what you guys are thinking about as well when it comes to when you saw it and we've been doing these podcasts on it, what's possible? I think everything is possible. But then mm. I look next door and I see the yeah. person who's not doing nothing and ain't trying to do anything. <laughs> I'm like, so where exactly does this person fit in this worldview? You know, so anyway, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I uh, my I I completely agree with uh, with both of your assessments. I had a couple of thoughts watching the movie. One was I understand why he lost the election mm. in 2000. Mm. Like, mm. wow. Mm. Uh, and 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 the second thing was, you know, I kept trying to think of a clever pun on inconvenient truth. But I didn't see, unfortunately. <laughs> but mm. but I mean, the, the truth is that that film was about Al Gore's cognitive dissonance at losing the election. Right, is what that film was right, about. Right. Wow. Is that, is that, yeah. Is right. like yeah. is yeah. like well, I lost the election, but really. It was for this greater good thing, which was for me to, like, return. To, and, and, of course, it was very important. So he's clearly a bright guy. It was very important for him to situate this struggle pre-the election, pre-political career, yes. to give it a through line, to give it right. some kind of contiguous oh, yeah. fight, right? Right, so right. As it, th- this is the thread. Right. And this really re- – I swear this is not me, like, trying to grapple with losing the 2000 election to, right. Uh, right. to right. George Bush. And so, yeah, the friend thing – he has he has such an anecdotal life, like mm-hmm. right. He, I, I I nearly I mean the only thing that didn't happen is he had a cousin that was killed by an out of control oil rig or something. Oh. Like he's got like every other thing. Like my sister died of lung cancer. Like, like just like, like that's right. like every. So where like, is the charisma with this guy? I mean, I think that that what you just described so very very well in terms of the information is that. That kind of politics did impact, it was impactful for the people, to people. It was that every man thing we talked about earlier. Everyone's talking like, you know, they want to have a beer with the president. I don't have a beer with the president. Let this man go do, or woman or trans person do their job. That's what I want to do. So that relatability thing was really, like, to me, Al Gore is still very invisible to me. As a personality, yeah. and also mm-hmm. as someone who sort of talks like a midway politician, not enough accent here, not enough accent there. It's just an interesting guy to me. I'm like, wow, no wonder I got an Oscar. It is boring. I mean, half of the things the Oscars do are just terrible, half amazing. That's it. Yeah. The what? I mean, I guess to try and say something positive, I did appreciate. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, a couple of things. One, he clearly, assuming that that he gives that talk, you know, straight through, he clearly has a solid uh, understanding of the facts. Mm-hmm. You know, as at least as they stood when that movie was made, um, in a particular uh, interpretation of of where rising sea levels are going to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and he had a solid and realistic message that was thematically organized around hope, right? I mean, so you know, mm-hmm. we do this little bit, we do this little bit, we do this little bit and and we make an yeah. impact. And and I appreciated that approach because uh-huh. That is, in my opinion, that is the only viable approach. We are not, Agreed. you know, we're not in a sort of Gary Snyder, you know, kind of the nature poet, um, you know, beat late beat uh, generation. Mm-hmm. You know, we are not going to fundamentally transform our relationship to the natural world. That's simply not going to happen. I, and so I think these aggregated approaches, Seth, you're mm-hmm. about to say something. I, I, I'll just stop there. I think those aggregated approaches are like that's the quiver and that's our bow and that's what we that's what we have to do. Well, I think we we need to precisely do that. Sorry to interrupt Travis, but I think we press, precisely need to take that approach because politically the other approaches or I should say the approach of imagining that we are going to fundamentally change the way we live doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and this is precisely mm-hmm. what what the GOP is banking on, right? So when AOC and, you know, AOC is really the pointy end of that particular um, movement. But so I'm yeah. just using her as a shorthand. But when AOC and other supporters of the Green New Deal make their proposals, and these are just, these are just sort of wide uh, sweeping sort of here's sort of what we need to do. Like right? it's not aspirational, but they're aspirational plans. What Republicans come back and say is shit like, yeah, she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to fly anybody to fly anywhere. She mm-hmm. wants all the cows to stop farting. She wants <laughs> like mm-hmm. no, really. They say ridiculous shit like this. Oh no, they do. And, but it's it's premised on the notion that we should not be inconvenienced. Right. I mean, this is where the title of the That's, film really yeah. has purchase, right? That mm. we should not be inconvenienced in any way. We should be able to drive as large a vehicle as we want, mm-hmm. um, essentially pollute as much as we want. But why are we drinking out of stainless steel straws? We should be using good old plastic straws. Like <laughs> we, like we should not, the idea is that there's mm. nothing that we should be, we should have to do. So the idea of making incremental change, I think, is the only way forward mm. politically. Yeah. Yeah. You, Oh, go ahead, Stephen. You were about to say something. No, go ahead, Travis. I'm still... I was just going to say, just, mm-hmm. to, just to piggyback on that, yeah, the, the inconvenience thing is absolutely right. You get that in sort of the, the umbrage that people take around straws or light bulbs. I mean, in the United States, at least. Like this, like, you know, what? I shouldn't have to change the light bulb I use. I shouldn't have to change. Right. And, you know, I'm not saying that those are, you know, those are the critical policies that need to be implemented. I honestly don't know what they're... I know the light bulb one is a big deal. The straw one, I'm I'm not sure about. I'm not meaning I'm skeptical. I just don't know how effective it is when it comes to waste and recycling. But that being said, the response, the sort of the, the knee-jerk response to everything that has been the same should continue to be the same right. in perpetuity. Right. Mm-hmm. In- insane. Like, which body do you live in? Like, right. which, like, what world are you moving through in which that is, that's the case? Right. <laughs> so right. this is not at all how it works. This isn't how this show plays out. Um, so anyway. No, what you, I just feel like we have a very skewed idea of freedom because this is what we were talking about here. This mm-hmm. idea that one should be able to do whatever he or she or they want to do whenever they want to do it. Mm-hmm. And so this being mm-hmm. inconvenienced is a part of that, a big part of it because 
And this is funny because people never ask for world peace. <laughs> they ask for a million dollars. Mm. You know, I mean, people do ask for world peace. And people, I'm saying that. I understand. You yeah. Know, this, yeah. But it's the idea of being, because um, I was asking myself, I said, what would have made me think of climate change differently as a 20 year old, 1986? Mm-hmm. And I think. Were you out at that point? When you were twenty, yeah, I was out, but it was okay, incrementally, so prob- probably, incrementally. probably a hot, a hot guy that was into uh, pl- uh, environmental politics. No, I'm sure. I was <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm I mean, saying like th- gotcha. this is this is you know what I mean. This is one of the ways that that we compel people to care to care about things is things that like oh, hit yeah. really close to the bone. No, completely. And so sure. you know that's that's what that's all I was saying. No, but. I know. Wish I could have filled that joke better. I was like, yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> Cradled it, and I was like, why are you at the door? I'm trying to do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so I was the 20 year old. I um I was aware of um apartheid. I was aware of mm-hmm. you know different kinds of movements and the issues mm-hmm. with the Rockefeller mm-hmm. laws and that sort of. Th- no, no, it wasn't Rockefeller laws came in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Right? No, 80s. Was it 80s or 90s? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. What are the Rockefeller laws? Right. The laws that, um, it was the law that th- three strikes were out. Was, it was that, right? Oh, oh, oh sure, yes. sure, sure. Okay. But I was oh, wow. hyperly aware of this notion of the disappearing black man, the endangered species, because it, that yeah. gained purchase in the media. Yeah. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. what would have made me interested in this thing? And I was like, I couldn't, you know, I, I didn't come up with anything. But when I came, well, I didn't come up with anything that I thought was useful, totally, but. You know, just using your joke, Travis, about the whole idea of a hot guy, a hot idea, a hot um, something that caught fire on campus in the imaginations, mm. something like mm. that, possibly. But mm. it was hard even to get racism wrapped around my brain, you know, mm-hmm. at that age. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking yeah. a lot about the generation that is going to inherit more of this than they can handle. And like, mm-hmm. what would, what would you know, other than wanting to be called woke, what what mm. would ignite that passion, you know, and more mm-hmm. people? Because there are some people, but anyway, those are things I'm thinking. So one of the things, and I'm going to do my curmudgeonly, uh, what's the word for uh, the uh, person who is, um, who doesn't like people very much? What is that? What is that called? Misanthrope. Misanthropic. Yeah, my misanthropic. I'm going to put on my misanthropic hat for a moment mm. and say <laughs> that part of the problem that we're, that we're, talking about is that human beings respond only to certain kinds of stories, a certain mm-hmm. kinds of compelling action. One mm-hmm. is the romantic partner, right? So if someone mm-hmm. came into each of our lives at that point, probably when we were in our 20s, and was really passionate about this, mm-hmm. okay. we, would, we would hold hands with them and we'd be like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I can get behind this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, this is starting to make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Charismatic leadership, romance, the things that fall to the side that don't tend to move the species very much, and this is where I, I, it gets, well, it's only slightly misanthropic. I'm disappointed in us in that we're not moved by data. We're not moved mm-hmm. by large, we're not moved by the long view. We're not moved by the idea that 50 years from now, Miami may very well disappear because yeah. of gla- mm-hmm. glacier melt, right? Like, that's difficult for me to get to swallow because I just want to say like it's logical people let's just let's just get let's just put our shoulders to the wheel come on like this is you, the the consequences of not paying attention to this mm-hmm. this crisis are mm-hmm. so grave that uh we just have to but that actually yeah. makes no difference 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it's not that I disagree with your assessment of people's general kind of self interest. Na- yeah, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. sort of navel gazing mm-hmm. self interest okay. and, and lack of rock solid commitment to thing to to principles. I, I, of course, I think that that's basically true. I don't necessarily wish for a hu- a, a human community that was lashed to data sets though hmm. uh, because uh, I don't I don't trust our scientific acumen that much mm-hmm. uh, I mean I do around I do around certain things I don't I I think science is the best cultural invention that uh, that we've yet managed to create absolutely I'm, I'm not anti-science at all mm-hmm. but we're wrong all the time and hmm. and yet we are we are not easily or readily convinced of how incorrect we were, how incorrect we are. You could take, for example, the cutting edge science in the 19th century mm-hmm. was that white men were superior intellectually, emotionally, and physically to all other men. That, right. that was, but is that, that pseudoscience that, though, rather than science? No, so I don't see. I don't think you can. So you could make, make that you, argument. But you, you don't think I, you can, I would. Make, I would go right. after that argument. Like right. I don't think you that's don't think right. there's a useful think, distinction. No, right. I don't. Right. I think these were not. These were. I mean, how do we identify something as scientific? I mean, you have to you have to look at the social sort of strata, right? I mean, so are mm-hmm. these people practicing scientists? Are they paid to be scientists? Are they practicing the scientific method? Right, are they right. mm-hmm. like I think if you tick off those boxes, yes, those people in the nineteenth century were absolutely scientists. Now, here's the great thing about science is but the that scientific a, method they weren't actually practicing that. No, because they, they came were, up with this little science, <clears throat> right? No, no, they they were practicing the scientific method. But the scientific method is one aspect that led to them abandoning that, you know, it's a constantly forward-moving process. It's just that at any moment in time, if you are to arrest that process, it's going to be rife with error. So it's framing that bothers you. The framing um, of scientific knowledge as the end-all, be-all versus an yeah, ongoing process. As, yeah, that's a helpful way to characterize it. As as if there is any moment in time, mm-hmm. for most things, not all things, right? As if there is any moment in time mm-hmm. in which we have sufficient information about the world to render a rock-solid judgment definitively about what should be done. I okay. am suspicious of that. No, uh, no right. No, that's right. But what we're... To talk about the scientific method with a little more precision, I think what we're getting at is that it's one, it's a process. So it, as Travis essentially was saying, at any point in the process, right, we have imperfect data, right? Because mm-hmm. essentially, yeah. one of the bedrocks of the scientific method, as I understand it, is that we are experimenting, we are taking data from okay. that previous experiment, and we're putting it up against what previous experiments had shown, mm-hmm. right? So there, so in that process, they're clearly along the lines of, let's say, developing a particular medicine to treat a particular condition. At some point, you have to keep asking more questions, right? Like, so, or, or the process entails keep at one uh, it, iteratively, iteratively, what am I trying to say? Iteratively. Thank you. Iteratively. <laughs> asking 
more and more specific questions. So at any point in that process, like we may very well be wrong. And what we're also saying is that questioning has to continue. So, oh, that's right. That's what I was getting at. You said something about we're never going to arrive at rock solid data or rock solid definitions. Right. But the scientific method isn't about rock solid definitions. Yeah. I I was only, uh, yeah, no, you're right. I was, I was being overly long winded about just responding to the, that your disappointment in our inability to, Mm -hmm. uh, to work reliably and dependably with data. And, and I, I'm okay with that aspect of human beings, at least as we where we are right now, because mm-hmm. I still think that it is feasible for us to grapple with climate change, mm-hmm. not in a way that that there aren't consequences, because again, we've talked about this many times on the podcast. There are always consequences for the poor. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like mm-hmm. absolutely. Right. Like I, I definitely believe that there will be awful consequences for the people that the current geopolitical system doesn't really care about or doesn't easily care about, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I'm not saying that there aren't going to be consequences, but at this point, I am hopeful, and I don't think in a naive way, that we will grapple with these changes and that society will look different in 100 years, but that it will continue. Mm -hmm. Certainly is certainly in a less pristine way that the the most hopeful people believe. I don't think, you know, we're reaching the singularity or a tipping point or anything like that. But mm. I think we'll figure out levees. I think we'll figure out rising sea levels for for certain coastal communities that have the the money to deal with it. I think we'll figure out food supplies for for certain groups of people. I think we'll figure out farming, th- those kind of things. I do think that the degree to which people suffer mm-hmm. in that process is an open question and and one that that concerns me a great deal mm-hmm. i sus- i suspect that we may i suspect that we will figure out a lot of these the 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 laundry list of things you just gave us yes i suspect that we won't until we've mm-hmm. had significant losses in yeah, population maybe. and land. Yeah. That's yeah. that's because I don't think that this is part of my yeah, problem yeah. With, the, with with being a human being is that I don't think that we are moved uh, enough until mm. we see dire consequences right. happening right around us. Stephen, I said what? Looking up for my cell phone. What does Seth say? What did he say? <laughs> um, that's all I have to say. <laughs> so yeah. I guess yeah. I mean, to, I guess that we can. I guess we're wrapping up, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is fine. We we all kind of acknowledged at the beginning that we weren't. Uh, this is not our. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For, oh, Seth, one more Seth, thing. Jump in, please. Yeah, just go, go, one go. more thing. Uh, I made a note when I was watching the film. Here, at some point, Al Gore calls this a moral issue. Do we agree mm. with that? Is this a moral issue? I, I wish I wish you'd said that earlier in the podcast. I had thought the same thing when I was watching the movie. Mm. Um, so, Stephen, please, I've talked a lot. No, so no, no. I actually want to think about that because um, mm. I had other issues with things about his the moral consciousness of America and the will to do something to change something was very, very fraught with. I'm reading 1619 right now. I'm like, mm. no, mm. no. This mm. the change in the U.S. did not happen solely for the about. Abolishing slavery was to draw an imbalance in the South and to win the Union. So, so yeah, there were a lot of things I felt that um, that Gore said were problematic, were very mm-hmm. problematic, and just add for a new presidential campaign. They were just very mm-hmm. general. 
Yeah. I think he is right in a way that he doesn't intend, uh, meaning that I think our morality is so tightly bound up with our social structures mm. and and our judgments about what is acceptable behavior okay. in our social group that of course it's a moral issue because we make everything a moral issue. We mm. make uh, colors and clothes a moral right. issue. Right. Right. I don't think that's how he intended it. And in right. the way he intended it, now I don't really agree. <laughs> I, I, I don't, in the way that, that he meant it, I don't think it is a moral issue in the sense of how... How I consume, you know, the food that I that I need to eat or get to work and and whatnot is not a moral issue in the same way. Like, how do I treat the two of you? How do I treat my mm-hmm. family? How yeah. do I treat the Absolutely. stranger on the street? Mm-hmm. That to me is is a is a rock solid, clear cut moral issue. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how my car is powered, I don't think is a moral issue in the same way um, mm-hmm. that he wants it to be. So anyway, hmm. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I think I would. I generally agree with you, Travis. I think that um, generally agree in, in, in this respect that Al Gore, and this is perhaps the, the flaw of this film, Al Gore speaks like a politician all the time, and yeah. and those kind of yeah. those kinds of yeah. bromides, those kinds of cliches, seem to still have some purchase with people in. Uh, the sound of within the sound of his voice, but for me, yeah. like that yeah. is exactly the kind of rhetoric that I want to move away from because it's just not compelling. And I want to say, yeah. yeah, let's 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 be clear about what we mean when we say we make a moral choice because you said it correctly. Um, how you treat your friends, how you treat your family, mm-hmm. uh, those are places where the theoretical sort of notions of freedom and justice mm-hmm. actually hit the road this is where they make they they are meaningful yeah mm. yeah i mean the, the only thing i i'll and steven if you're, you're ha- i'm happy to have you walk us out if you like only says hey you know there are a lot of other things Al Gore could have decided to do. You know, mm-hmm. making a movie about climate change isn't a terrible choice. Agreed. <laughs> that's, I mean, Agreed. that's that's better than a variety of other pursuits he could be uh, following. So. It's way the fuck better than George Bush painting self-serving images of Iraq <laughs> veterans who he helped, yeah. whose lives yeah. he helped fuck up. Do you understand? Right? Like, so yeah. let's just, yeah. Yeah. Let's just say that. So, I always uh, got that move as a guilt move, a big guilt move, but also just weird sort of resonance that, that, that he has work to do there, right? Mm-hmm. Emotionally, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it came out in art. Okay, that's what that guy did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, friends, thank you very much uh, for the conversation, and I'll speak to you next week. Thank Indeed. you. Thank Take you. Care. Bye.